Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Camp Hell and Awakey is a production of iHeartRadio. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the author and participants and do not necessarily represent those of iHeartMedia or its employees. Due to discussion of traumatic, sexual, and violent content, listener discretion is advised. I was 27 years old. I was in law school, and I just thought that people would be really upset about this. I thought people would rise up and do something about it. Nothing was done. This is Robert D'Agostino, who we heard from last episode. In 1969, Robert and his co-worker, Roger Wren, had witnessed firsthand sexual abuse that was taking place at Anawaki. Trying to get something done about it, proved to be quite difficult. Here's Roger Wren. In those days, it was a lot looser, and you could suppress it, and, and we were pretty well suppressed. Bob and I were very frustrated. They were whistleblowers. Here's journalist Albert Edgen. He spent the better part of six years covering the Anawaki story. They did the right thing and they brought it to the right authorities and they knew the hierarchy of things in the state and so they brought it to the people that they needed to bring it to. That happened in late 69. And they pressed it and they were frustrated by it. We felt like we were out on a limb. You cannot imagine being 24, 25 year old and knowing something that is horrendous and telling people, in fact screaming, and nobody listening. It was a real rough time in my life, and I know Bob and I have talked about it. We both suffered. After I left Dinawaki, 
I went to DFACS and uh, tried to get them involved. Welburn Ellis was the head of DFACS. He knew about it because some of the students had told me they went to speak with him. The earliest correspondence from the Department of Family and Children's Services regarding wrongdoing at Anawaki is a letter dated August 6, 1969. Wellborn Ellis, director for the Division of Children and Youth, requests representation from Assistant Attorney General Wheeler Bryan. The letter states it is, quote, in regards to the probable revocation of Anawaki's license as a child-caring institution and any other legal action which may become necessary. For months, the DFACS board waffled back and forth on whether a hearing should happen. Ren and D'Agostino needed more than their word if anyone was going to take them seriously. Bob and I were pretty involved in trying to get anybody who would talk to come in so we could get some proof. Everybody kept saying, can you prove it? And so we ended up having to get some affidavits. An affidavit is a sworn written statement detailing behaviors or events that you consider to be illegal. Rin and D'Agostino would need Anawaki patients to swear their abuse in order to build their case. Boy, it was tough. I just remember a couple of cases where I thought they weren't going to sign and then they finally would. And then they say, no, I don't want to do it. They were so scared. And, and part of it had to be fear of, of the repercussions. But one of them, I think, was fear of letting down Lewis Petter because he had developed relationships with these kids. And, and some of them believed that he was the only person who could help them. So getting them to sign anything was tough. And it was a rejection of him as their father figure. We were involved in trying to find some way to extricate him from the camp. And as I recall, we started hearing a lot of negative things about us. Rin and D'Agostino were tipped off by a social worker in Douglasville that Petter had begun spreading some serious rumors about them, possibly an attempt to discredit their story. There were people in Douglasville who heard that we were communists. He told the kids we were. And, of course, we're gone. We're not in any position to defend ourselves. And we're, we were concerned that would happen when we left, and it did. Several people that worked for him out there that were pretty close to him, and uh, they made sure that they said as many negative things as they possibly could about us and uh, tried to take our validity as reporters and destroy it. He uh, came after us. He called Bob D'Agostino, who was... I might add a very conservative gentleman, a Czechoslovakian communist, and I was a Romanian communist, which was hilarious. <laughs> Look, I'm a rock group conservative. I served under Ronald Reagan in the Justice Department. I was Barry Goldwater's county chairman. That's when we went after him for libel. Uh, it, was, it was pretty rough. Robert D'Agostino then filed suit against Louis Petter for the cost of $1 million. Rin says that at this time, if someone claimed you were a communist, that was a serious charge and could derail your whole career. D'Agostino explained that filing this suit was a way to put the case in front of a judge and hopefully get the attention of the board at Anawaki. And the idea was to show everybody what was going on at Anawaki. Walker, who was my counsel, said, maybe that'll excite the insurance company. Maybe that'll excite the board into doing something. 
And I laid it out in that lawsuit, laid it out, had no effect. I think there was a lot of pressure. I think Petter had a lot of tentacles into Douglas County. The court really was not interested and they put it aside. And we really had a rough time in court. The attorney did not do what Bob and I considered to be a credible job of looking at the background. And so we ended up in court and nothing happened. Absolutely nothing. And it was put aside. It's probably still in the bin in there waiting to happen. Over the past several weeks, we have received a number of very serious allegations concerning both the facility out there and a the number of individuals involved with it. It was just a form of their therapy. They were told to do it, and at the time, he was 14 and a half, 15 years old. They didn't know any better. I asked him, why are you letting this happen? Why are you covering up for Louis Petter? He had no answers to that question. The thought of having an institution paid in a hospital to be such a despicable place and to do absolutely the contrary of what they should have done. I'm disturbed over the fact that something is still going on at Aniwaki. I'm Josh Thane. And this is Camp Hell, Anawakey. By now, you are starting to get a picture of how things operated behind the scenes at Anawakey. The mastermind pulling the strings was the head and founder, Louis Doc Petter. Here, we are going to take a break in the story to look at who Petter was, where he came from, and how he was able to wield so much power. Whenever I ask people about Louis Petter, I usually get the same type of response. Oh, he was very charming. He knew how to work a crowd, if you will, and was socially very competent. He was very polite. Even in, as his crises mounted, he was very polite and civil when he needed to be. Lewis Petter was a charming person, and he definitely has some charisma. Looking back, I can see why a lot of the boys who, who were looking for father figures would have been attracted to him. But under all that charm was something much darker. I asked journalist Albert Edgen about Petter's origins. He had worked in a series of jobs in the state of Georgia, public service jobs with agencies that dealt with criminal kids, you know, juvenile delinquent kids who were in prison or, or some way in a jail or in some sort of supervisory situation. He was fairly well educated, he was developing this reputation of being innovative in child development, particularly in working with troubled children. But he also, through those years, as he was working in the state government, was very meticulous about maintaining relationships with people who were in positions of power. It is hard to track Petter's professional trajectory exactly. Surprisingly, he managed to get his name in local papers fairly regularly, dating all the way back to the 40s. You can begin to see Petter's involvement with youth dating back to 1942. One article mentions him as a counselor of a Boy Scout camp, which is about to open. Another from 1943 lists Petter as the head of a YMCA group from Macon called the Junior Commandos, composed of boys aged 11 to 13 who wanted to help with the war effort from home. Activities included running military drills and learning a new form of self-defense called judo. Petter was married to his wife and future co-founder of Anawakey, Mabel Reese, in Macon, Georgia, in 1943. 
At this time, he was serving as an assistant pastor at the Mabel White Baptist Church while continuing his master's degree at Mercer University. Petter's connection to the Baptist Church would continue through the rest of his life. Aside from a few wedding officiant announcements, the next mention of Louis Petter in any newspaper comes from an article outlining the need for a full-time psychologist for the juvenile court of Fulton County, Georgia in 1950. One can already begin to see Petter working his way through the ranks of local government. Petter was working as a part-time psychologist and probation officer for the Juvenile Court of Atlanta at the time. This would later lead Petter to help develop and head the first Juvenile Domestic Relations Court in Savannah, Georgia. Another article from 1950 shows a preview of Petter's future career. The headline reads, $1,000 pledged for support Buckhead Club to help youth begin new life. It described a juvenile delinquent whose stories of theft and killing were documented in a psychological test done during one of Petter's graduate classes at Emory University. The Buckhead Boys and Girls Club of Atlanta raised money for the youth's reorientation and development. Already, Petter was finding ways to organize communities to raise funds in the hope of helping teens. A follow-up article from 1951 tells the story of Jimmy, the troubled youth who had been pulled out of a life of crime by none other than Louis Petter. The article also states that Jimmy's case was receiving $100 a month from each member of the Buckhead Exchange Club to help his cause. Through the 1950s, Petter's name pops up continually in the Atlanta papers. Most of these are announcements of meetings at PTAs, churches and schools with Petter speaking about troubled teens, how the problem is only growing and must be addressed. Many of these lectures were said to pertain to youth conservation. Petter was not only serving as a reverend, court psychologist, and probation officer, he was now lecturing parents about the problem of juvenile delinquency. To put this into perspective, Petter's influence on the community of parents in Atlanta begins in the 1950s. In the post-World War II age of booming babies and nuclear families, there was also a wave of rebellious teenagers. Racial barriers were starting the slow process of breaking down, and teens were beginning to revolt in new ways not seen before. This new culture of youth included rock and roll, the beatniks, and recreational drug use all bubbling up into the mainstream for the first time. And it scared parents. In the middle of the 20th century in the United States of America, hundreds and hundreds of teenage boys and girls are becoming hopeless dope addicts every year. It's fantastic, it's unbelievable, and it's terrible, but it's true. Just as fast as rules were broken, others established in an attempt to keep this new generation in line. Talk of sex was shunned, and dancing and hair length were now hot topics. This all adds up to the perfect storm for someone to act as a hero for parents who don't know how to deal with their teen's troubled behavior. It's hard to grow up. If a teenager has extra problems, emotional or social, it's even harder. Kids like this, not wanted by any other group or anyone else much, tend to hang out together. Rowdy kids, troubled kids headed for trouble. Still a couple of years from real crime, but with destruction and violence their only outlet, 
they're on their way to it. Unless their outlook can be changed. Lewis Petter billed himself as just the person who could help, a narrative he would continue to push for the rest of his career. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. By the mid-1950s, Louis Petter had now fully entrenched himself within the local government, as well as many communities of parents in the Atlanta area. He was moonlighting as a Baptist minister, while also serving as a juvenile psychologist and parole officer for the state of Georgia. Petter worked his way up to the position of vice president of the Georgia Probation and Parole Association, putting him in control of many youths inside the Georgia legal system. It is here that he would meet a young bureaucrat who would prove invaluable to his professional career, Jim Parham. Parham came up in a relatively poor household, but was brilliant. He went to Emory University. He got himself really well educated. He also was somebody who thought innovatively about child care, child development, but he had more broad interests, and he became a bureaucrat. Parham's working relationship with Petter began in Atlanta as far back as 1948. Parham served as a night attendant on the graveyard shift at a juvenile detention center while finishing up school during the day. Petter is a supervisor and Parham is a jail guard in the county jail where they were keeping these kids. They had plenty of time over the weeks and months to have long conversations at night 
And Petter became a mentor to Parham. Petter had all of these innovative ideas, and Parham was a young, very smart kid, really willing to learn and figure out ways to implement these kinds of ideas. So it was a very, very good relationship between the two of them. For Parham, a very important relationship. He was Petter's friend. Petter was his mentor. Parham and Petter would work in tandem, holding panels to discuss the issue which they now termed juvenile delinquency. They would work in developing a camping and cave exploring program to, quote, assist in changing attitudes of youth on probation. In August 1957, Parham would follow Petter to Savannah, Georgia, where Petter was enlisted as head of the state's first juvenile domestic relations court. He started a few innovative programs in Savannah that I had no idea of until I read about it many years later, having to do with marriage counseling and dealing with children who had been ruled juvenile delinquents who'd broken the law in one way or another. Robert D'Agostino had heard about Petter's history with Georgia's Department of Family and Children's Services. During his lawsuit against Petter in 1970, D'Agostino went to Savannah to see what he could find out about Petter's time working for the government agency. He was in Savannah first. He was uh, in the Department of Family and Children's Services in Savannah, and he was squeezed out of Savannah as a psychologist because of, let's say, inappropriate touching of juvenile boys that were uh, under the supervision of the juvenile court. What I found out in my investigation down there is what he was doing was measuring their penises, handling their penises and measuring it under the theory that the longer the penis, the more likely you were to be a delinquent. Of course, he was trying to be psychoanalytic, I suppose. And it was so ludicrous, I didn't believe it. It was also told to us, Bob and I, that he had a stick that he used and made the children, when he was a probation officer, show their privates, and then he would say, ah, this one's got a good prognosis, a bad prognosis. D'Agostino says Petter's tainted history had little to no effect on his future prospects in child care. Remember that the Department of Family and Children's Services actually placed boys in that camp, even though they knew about what he did in Savannah. There were people in the Georgia government in the late 40s, 47 and 48, who were aware that there were accusations of child abuse and sexual contact between Petter and young people that he was supervising, all the way back to the late 40s. Another connection that Lewis Petter would first meet in Savannah is Brett Baxley. Baxley would join Petter in his quest to start an outdoor camp. Here's what Roger Wren remembers about Mr. B. He had many talents, very patient, was good with the kids. I thought he was a very effective group therapist. I'd been doing it for a while, so I was pretty comfortable with it. And he would come in and also add to the group. And I thought, like an uncle or like a father, I thought he did a pretty good job with that. I was surprised that he did not uh, step up when, when the thing came apart because I know he cared about the kids. I, I never understood what was going on. There's probably more there than meets the eye. Once Petter left Savannah, there's not much record of his actions until 1962, the year Anawakee was founded. By using his skills to raise funds through community outreach, Petter, 
his wife Mabel, and Brett Baxley were able to acquire a large plot of land in Douglasville, Georgia. While the details of this land deal are not explicitly known, through land deeds we can see that three large plots of land were sold to Brett Baxley and his wife Joyce in 1963. This place would become known as Anawakee. In 1963, one year after Anawakee was founded, Jim Parham would go on to take a new position in Atlanta, Georgia, as the director for the Division of Children and Youth at the Department of Family and Children's Services, the same government body that would be in charge of any oversight of Anawakee. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. By the summer of 1970, Robert D'Agostino and Roger Wren were fully entangled in a legal dispute with Louis Petter and Anna Wakey. D'Agostino had filed a libel lawsuit against Petter, but did so in a very clever way. During the libel court proceedings, D'Agostino was sure to mention the fact that he left due to concerns of sexual behavior between Petter and patients at Anna Wakey. Filing a libel lawsuit was a roundabout way to get a court hearing to address abuse of patients at Anawakee, but eventually, it worked. Wren says this is in part due to the pressure of the lawsuit, but also the fact that they were able to get written affidavits from former patients. Bob uh, really pushed, and uh, we had some people who would help us. And finally, I think they were embarrassed at the point where they had to hold a hearing. I would say that they were half-hearted to begin with, and even the, the assistant attorney general told us, I didn't believe this. 
the representative of the um, state of Georgia there, Attorney General's office, he didn't know what to think, except he was told that I was nuts or I was lying and everything else. On September 3rd, 1970, the State Board for the Division of Children and Youth held a hearing regarding possible removal of Anawaki's license as a child-caring institution. It consisted of a three-member panel from the Department of Family and Children's Services, including Chairman Don Howe, Zach Smith, and Mrs. Lester Harbin. Over four days, this panel would hear testimony from multiple patients and counselors from Anawaki. Attorney Charles Edwards would represent the Anawaki Foundation. Charles Edwards, who led it, was of course hostile from day one. He was definitely tied up with Lou Petter one way or another maybe financially. The hearing was set to begin at 2 p.m. John Hinchy would represent the state of Georgia, with Ralph Walker representing Robert D'Agostino and Roger Wren. Before the proceedings had even begun, Anawaki's lawyer, Charles Edwards, filed objections to Wren and D'Agostino's legal counsel and a motion to dismiss all charges, a sign of what was to transpire. Once the hearing was finally underway, Edwards began by examining a former patient of Anawaki, his name withdrawn from the legal document. The following is an excerpt from the testimony performed by voice actors. John Hinchy, counsel for the state of Georgia, started his questioning. During the time you were at Anawaki, did you have an opinion on Dr. Petter's character? Yes, sir. Charles Edwards objects yet again. Wait just a minute. We would object to his asking that. The proper foundation hasn't been laid to ask a question of Dr. Petter. In fact, Dr. Petter is not the man on trial in these charges. My response to that, charge number 10 lays the foundation for Dr. Petter's character. In fact, it is the very issue in question. Chairman Don Howe sided with Anawaki's lawyer, but reminded the room that his power was limited, as it was not an official court of law. If I were a judge, I'd sustain it. But all we can do is note it. Let me make it totally clear. We object to any answer of this witness to the question propounded by Mr. Henshaw. First, he had not laid the proper ground for it. Second, Dr. Petter is not charged here in this hearing. The foundation is the one the charge has been made against here and not Dr. Petter. And we move further that at this time, and make this motion, that it appears that this charge is leveled against Dr. Petter and not really the foundation. We move that all charges be dismissed on the ground that this particular charge, I'd say, would be dismissed on that ground. The charge which Edwards is referring to states that Anawaki was in violation of the minimum requirements applicable to a child-caring institution. In particular, the clause that The executive shall in every instance be a person of stable, sound judgment, whose integrity is above reproach. In this case, that would be Louis Petter, reported to have had immoral and illicit relationships with one or more of the patients. The fact that this was not an actual court trial but a hearing means that objections could neither be sustained or overruled, only noted. This would not stop Edwards from objecting at any chance he could. Hinchy's questioning continued. Can you state whether or not you ever observed or participated in any acts of homosexuality while you were on the Anawaki campus? Yes, sir, I did. 
when I was first admitted to Anawaki. There are more objections by Charles Edwards. Objection. They are noted, as before. Please proceed. I participated in a homosexual relationship with Dr. Petter for the reason stated that my problem was that I was suffering from a homosexual fright. Who told you that? Dr. Petter. I was afraid that I was a homosexual. Then several times I was under hypnosis and he said he was going to hypnotize me and this would make it easy for me to relate and what I needed was a homosexual experience with him. Did he recommend any treatment for this apparent problem? Yes, sir. He said that I should have a homosexual experience with him and therefore ease my tension and would no longer have a problem. Did you have such an experience? Yes, sir. Numerous times over a period of about three years. Were these homosexual acts that you referred to with Dr. Petter voluntary on your part? Yes, sir. Sometimes they were, and sometimes they were not so voluntary. I was persuaded that this was... I felt a lot of guilt about it and didn't feel like it was helping me. I don't know. I was persuaded that this was the thing, you know, just to try it. Go all the way. Loosen up. Relax. Who told you that? Dr. Petter. The reason that this wasn't doing me any good, these experiences, was because I wasn't relaxing. I was giving of myself. I wasn't, you know, going all the way, so to speak. That's what he said. I'm going to ask this question, and I'm subject to being overruled by the board, but I'm going to ask you, and I ask you to reserve your objection, Mr. Edwards, to describe these homosexual acts which you have already testified that you have engaged in with Dr. Petter just so that we can establish the fact that they were homosexual acts. Well, it involved Dr. Petter masturbating me to the point of ejaculation and then with anal intercourse where he wanted me to have intercourse with him anally and oral intercourse. And you engaged in all of these acts with Dr. Petter that you have just described? Yes, sir. Can you state on approximately how many occasions? You know, it was like on an average of once a week. Was it over the entire period you were at Anawaki? Yes, sir. Over the entire period that you were there once a week? Yes, sir, on an average. You know, there would be times where there wouldn't be any for two weeks, then sometimes twice a week. Did you engage in homosexual activities with anyone else other than Dr. Petter while you were at Anawaki? No, sir. The patient from Anawaki described some of the ways in which Petter would use therapy to manipulate him. I remember the suggestion that I was suffering from homosexual fright, and the suggestion that this was the reason for a lot of my anxieties and my self-destructiveness was because of my homosexual fright and suggestions that certain ideas I had about sex related back to homosexuality. For instance, he asked me one time what I thought about when I masturbated. I thought about women. He told me that this actually was my homosexuality coming out, but reversed because what I really wanted was a man. But because I couldn't admit it to myself, I was thinking about a woman. While reporting on Anawaki, Albert Edgen saw more examples of this type of manipulation through therapy. 
Petter had a way of targeting boys that he was going to eventually develop a sexual relationship with. And it seemed to be consistent. And it would begin with somehow denigrating the boy's father. He would give this child in a therapy session a reason to believe that his father had not been an adequate father figure. And that definition of father figure, quote unquote father figure, was fluid. Petter worked it to his advantage. For example, there was one boy who had, uh, that I remember well, who had a, a physically abusive alcoholic father who had specifically said things that came out during therapy sessions. Petter would then take that information and discuss it with the boy and then gradually say, you know, you need, basically what the message was, you need a father figure like me. It was insidious. And he had these cockamamie ways of describing the evolution of somebody's sexual being. But it it was not a consistent philosophy. It was a manipulative system that he used based on what he knew about that particular boy's problems and pathologies. It was as manipulative as it could be, and it's as close to human evil as as I can imagine. Charles Edwards' following cross-examination shows just how low Anawaki was willing to go to cover for themselves and discredit the former Anawaki patient. Now, you had a good bit of trouble with your mother, didn't you? I've always had trouble with my mother. You've always had troubles with your mother. Now, do you have improper relations with your mother? No, sir. What are you talking about, improper relations? Did you have any sexual relations with your mother? No, sir. You have told people that your mother tried to have sexual relations with you, haven't you? Well, it's hard to say. What do you mean, tried to have sexual relations with me? Do you mean my mother tried to seduce me? No. You never told anybody that, or that any sexual relations of any kind with your mother. I lived with my mother ever since my mother and father were separated. My mother would occasionally walk through the house without any clothes on. In other words, just a nightgown and just things that would happen just living with somebody. Did that upset you? Sometimes it would upset me. To see your mother without clothes on? Yes, sir. Did you have an erection then? No, sir. Now then, did you see your mother do anything else other than walk through the house without her clothes on? No, sir. Not that I can remember. Did you ever discuss sex with her? No, sir. Did you ever tell anyone that she tried to break down the door to get into your room? Yes, sir. She's done that. Was that because she was trying to have relations with you? No, sir. That was because she wanted to see what I was doing. A former patient had spelled out how Petter groomed him for his own pleasure, only to be made out to be some type of incestual sexual deviant. How could Anawaki's counsel have known about this background of the patient? By reading between the lines of this interrogation, we can see how Anawaki would use a patient's own medical history against them. The boys who were identified as victims of the abuse had been treated at Anawaki. Anawaki had access to their psychiatric records. The defense lawyers 
for Anna Wakey, for the accused, used information about their pathologies to discredit them, to question their credibility, and to humiliate them. Charles Edwards' scathing cross-examination continued. Do you remember telling anyone that you had had homosexual experience with others when you were up at the special school before you came to Anna Wakey? You remember that, don't you? We didn't have, I, I don't know what you call homosexuals. We had some experience with animals. You had sexual experience with animals? Yes, sir. You do say that you had sexual relations with animals prior to going to Anawaki. Yes, sir. Anawaki's lawyer had been primed with questions that related to the patient's former therapy. How else would Edwards have known to ask questions such as these? To outright ask a boy if he had participated in bestiality, knowing full well he had in some form. Doctor-patient confidentiality meant nothing if it was something that could help Petter and Anna Wakey. There were more witnesses who would speak up, and others who were too scared to. D'Agostino and Rin had come this far to try and take Petter down, but would their efforts be in vain? Next time on Camp Hell, Anna Wakey. Mr. Petter told me not to discourage their sexual behavior, but to tell them they shouldn't be promiscuous about it. To encourage this relationship. You've heard the charges. They're a damn lie. You know, you have a homosexual problem that you need to work through. The only way you can work through this is having one masculine image around you all the time. Well, I would think that Lewis Petter goes further in his efforts to help people than most anybody in the business I know. So he said they were going to try to wreck his home, his family, and Anna Wakey itself. There have been hundreds of children and families brought back together and helped. That is the best damn program to rehabilitate character disorders of any place in the United States. Camp Hell Anna Wakey was created and hosted by Josh Thane with producer Miranda Hawkins and executive producers Alex Williams and Matt Frederick. The soundtrack was written and performed by Josh Thane and Adrian Barry. This episode featured the voices of Mike Perkins, Robin Bloodworth, and Michael Weaver. Archival footage provided by WSB and CBS News. Find us on Instagram at Camp Hell Pod. That's C-A-M-P-H-E-L-L. POD. Educate yourself about the issue of child abuse and things that you should look for at the Darkness to Light website, d2l.org. That's D, the number two, L.org. Camp Hell and Awakey is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. 
Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 